MSW Media. Thanks to Tomboy X for supporting Daily Beans. Tomboy X makes brazenly unapologetic underwear for all bodies, all shapes, all genders, and all sizes. Really, all sizes. Discover your inner tomboy and let us get you started with a special discount. Go to TomboyX.com and enter code DAILYBEANS, all one word, to get an extra 20% off. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Monday, October 3rd, 2022. Today, the Department of Justice has filed for an expedited briefing schedule for its full appeal to Judge Cannon's order in the Mar-a-Lago documents case. Trump's legal team is divided about how to handle the case. The National Archives says it's still missing Trump presidential records. And the NRA loses in court again. I'm your host, Allison Gill. Hey, everyone. Uh, Happy Monday. Dana had to change her flight. She is in the air today, but she will be back with us tomorrow. There's a big week for us coming up, including an interview with Officer Fanone about his upcoming book, an interview with Michael Cohen about his upcoming book. And Wednesday, Pete Strzok and I will be hosting Cleanup on Aisle 45. Andrew is in Italy and won't be available to record this week. So Pete Strzok has agreed to help me. Also, Early exit polls are showing that Trump-styled autocrat Bolsonaro might lose his election in Brazil, which would be amazing news. I hope that holds up. And the Oath Keepers trial begins today. That trial begins today with opening statements. I'll keep you posted on how that trial goes. And later in the show today, I'll be speaking with The Daily Show co-founder and the host of the Feminist Buzz Kills podcast, Liz Winstead. But first, we do have a lot of news to get to. So let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. First up, the Department of Justice is going to file a full appeal to the 11th Circuit and the Mar-a-Lago documents case. I was asked about this during Friday's patron Zoom happy hour call. We have those every other Friday. If you're a patron, if you want to become a patron, you can go to patreon.com slash wrote. You'll get this show ad free. Plus, you'll get to hop on all those Zoom calls and you get the bonus content. Sometimes we post video interviews that don't go up to the public and We do all kinds of fun stuff, bloopers, and we have meet and greets and meetups in cities that I travel to. It's a lot of fun. Uh, It's only three bucks a month. But anyway, uh, during our happy hour call on Friday, I was asked about the documents case. Let's listen to that clip. Well, the DOJ uh, is going to appeal. They have filed a notice of appeal. So that's that's the option. She's there for life unless she... Oh, I, I'm not I, I'm not talking about getting her off the bench, although that would be a wonderful, wonderful thing to do. Uh, I'm just wondering, uh, you know, what, what are our choices here? Yeah, the DOJ will appeal. Um, that's and they'll likely win. Uh, and, and remember, when they went to the 11th Circuit, that was just for about the stay. That was to ap- appeal her stay. Right. They, they did file interlocutory interlocutory motion for appeal. So they are doing a broader, bigger, fatter, giant appeal about all of it. Uh, and I imagine they'll also appeal her uh, order, which contradicts her own previous order. Um, it doesn't just con- it just doesn't only contradict the special master's amended plan. It contradicts her own order telling Deary that he can amend the plan. So 
but she also put in the language. Um, she 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 changed the boilerplate language of special master appointments to allow her to have final decision on everything he says. That was in her order, and that you know basically he can be fired. So that's also in there. She changed the again boilerplate language of the appointment of the special master to to allow herself those things. Uh, now I just also want to remind everyone that what they're arguing over is all of the non-classified stuff. That's what they're arguing over. This doesn't, this fight between Canon and the DOJ over here, um, talking about the special master, the 11th circuit already ruled that she couldn't put a stay stopping the criminal investigation using the documents. And she, and the 11th circuit ruled that the lawyers, Trump's lawyers and the special master cannot have access to those documents. That is an 11th circuit ruling. And that was added when, you know, Cannon after, you know, after her first shitty ruling in September 5th, later, she added in the appointment of the special master that the special master and, and Trump's lawyer should have access to all the docs and the classified docs. And when the DOJ appealed, they included that. They included that. That was the difference in their first appeal to Cannon and their second appeal to the 11th circuit. They said, Hey, we're also appealing, not just that we have to stop our criminal investigation, which is inextricably linked to the national security risk assessment. We are also appealing the part where in the special master appointment, she said, we have to give access uh, to of these classified docs to the Trump lawyers. We're also appealing that. Now, Kais came back and said, you can't appeal uh, an appointment of a special master and the DOJ came back and said, motherfucker, look, she added that into the appointment of the special master as a clarification to her September 5th stay. We're appealing the stay. And the 11th Circuit agreed and said that was a clarification to the original thing that you, the original bullshit that you put out. It's not, she, they're not appealing the appointment of the special master just because you put it in the appointment of the special master not to give classified docs to Trump's lawyers doesn't mean it's part of that order appointing a special master. So shut up. And so those hundred documents cannot be shown to the special master. They cannot be shown and reviewed by Trump's team. And they uh, allowed they lifted the stay she put on the criminal investigation so that the criminal investigation and the national security risk assessment can go forward with regards to the hundred classified documents. Now, what this does do is while they're battling out the rest of the documents, the non-classified yeah. documents, there's, that's also evidence of crimes. So they, you know, they have to wait to use that stuff as evidence of like, a lot of times when they take somebody to court for stealing classified documents to prove that the person knew that they weren't supposed to have them or had them in their hands, they show that it was intermingled with their personal shit, right? Like the passports, for example, um, or magazine clippings or your underwear, or, you know, whatever your Britney sock is with the classified documents. Uh, I, I don't, I don't even want to think about what was mixed that, in with to documents, especially the top secret runs with Trump. I, I keep imagining greasy uh, McDonald's Big Mac wrapper stains all over our our precious secret documents. Right. So it, that 
does sort of pause that part of the criminal investigation, proving that he knew. But there are other ways. Well, first of all, they'll eventually get through this review and they'll eventually get those documents. And nothing can be done until after the election anyway, with regards to overt investigative steps. They they can investigate behind the scenes, which is what they're doing. Uh, the most important part of the investigation, at least in my eyes, is to find out if he sold any of this shit, gave any of this shit away, if it was compromised. And that's what they that's what they can work on right now without a problem. If they are going to indict him uh, for any of this stuff, they have to prove that he had that he had them possess them and knew he possessed them. And there's other ways to prove that, too, including him, him, his own fucking stupid tweets or truths, whatever you know, saying they went into my carton and put them all over the carpet, you know, or I mean, there's any number. Uh, I think it was uh, Ryan Goodman who put out a great, great thread on Twitter about all of the ways that we can prove that Trump knew about those documents. He went through the boxes himself. Hirschman told him you, you can't keep these things. So there's other ways to prove that. But they still will probably want to have the evidence uh, of his other unclassified material intermingled with the classified stuff as as another point of proof that that he had that he possessed the documents and knew about it. All right, then three minutes after I finished that discussion, saying the DOJ would appeal, this happened live during the happy hour call. Uh, breaking news: the Department of Justice is moving to expedite its appeal. The one I was just talking about. Uh, with FADA, uh, appointing uh, the appeal of Judge Cannon's order appointing the special master. So actually the whole interlocutory, the full appeal, they're planning on expediting it. They say it's inability to access. Oh, no, it's not just that. It's the whole thing. They say their inability to access the non-classified documents held at Trump's estate are still hampering significant aspects of their investigation that pertain to the classified records. They want an expedited schedule that runs through mid-November. Oh my gosh, what the fuck did I just say? Holy crap, look at me go. All right, let's see what this says here. An expedited appeal would serve the interests of justice. Based on the district court's orders thus far, the government is barred from accessing all of the materials except those with classification markings removed in August. And it may continue to be barred from doing so until mid-December or later, to be sure. The government sought a partial stay of the district court's September 5th order only as it pertained to records bearing classification markings because those aspects of the order caused the most serious and immediate harm to the government and the public. And the motions panel agreed that the injunction against the government's review and use of those records for criminal investigative purposes risks imposing real and significant harm on the United States and the public. Even if not to the same degree, such harms persist with respect due to the district court's injunction against the government's review and use of thousands of remaining documents and other materials that were recovered pursuant to a court-authorized search and may constitute evidence of crimes. The government thus unable to examine the records that were commingled with the materials bearing classification markings including records that may shed light on, for example, how the materials bearing classification markings were transferred to the plaintiff's residence, how they were stored, and who might have accessed them. The records not marked as classified may also constitute evidence of potential violations of 18 U.S. Code 1519 obstruction and 18 U.S. Code 2071 concealment or removal of government records. In short, 
an expedited schedule for briefing and argument may enable the government, if it is successful in this appeal, to more quickly resume its full investigation without restraints on its review and use of evidence seized pursuant to a lawful search warrant. So there you go. They're asking for an expedited schedule in their full appeal. Uh, And it is for the reasons uh, I stated that while they can go forward with the criminal investigation with regard to the classified documents, because that's inextricably linked to the national, uh, national security risk assessment, it does hamper certain parts of their investigation, like trying to prove that the commingled stuff uh, is important and, and can show ownership, obstruction, how it was moved, who might have had access to it, et cetera. Cool. All right. So there we go. Ask and you shall receive, Fada. <laughs> I'm happy. Let's, I love that that broke just like right after we finished talking about that. This uh, is the power of a mojito. It's the, it's the power of mojitos, in, indeed. So that's the kind of thing that goes down during our happy hour Zoom calls for patrons. By the way, the expedited schedule calls for the DOJ to file its full appeal by October 14th, then gives Donald 21 days to respond instead of 30, then gives the DOJ a truncated seven days to respond. So the DOJ is mostly cutting its own time here, but they did shave nine days off of the Trump response. Uh, That makes everything due by November 11th. Cannon's schedule for the special master review wouldn't be completed until mid-December. The DOJ says this is far too important. And that actually bucks her own November 30th deadline that she put in her initial filing or her initial ruling. Uh, Both dates are past the midterms, though, as I said in the clip, DOJ can't take overt steps until after the election. Uh, I will break down the government's arguments on this Wednesday's cleanup on aisle 45 with Pete Strzok. As I said, Andrew is on vacation, so I'm looking forward to that. Next up, on September 27th, that's last Tuesday, almost a week ago, I tweeted about sidelining the $3 million lawyer, Chris Kyes. I said, my guess as to why Donald sidelined Chris Kyes is that he wouldn't lie for him about the documents being planted or declassified, or Kyes wanted to say they aren't asserting declassification or malfeasance by the FBI. Kyes wanted to say they weren't asserting malfeasance by the FBI. Donald only likes lawyers that will push his narratives. So after that tweet, three days later, three days later on September 30th, Lenig, Helderman, Dawsey, and Stein broke this news in the Washington Post. They say, quote, after attorney Chris Kyes accepted $3 million to represent Donald in the FBI investigation of the government documents stored at Mar-a-Lago, the veteran litigator argued that Trump should adopt a new strategy. Turn down the temperature with the Department of Justice, is what he said. That's what he counseled his famously combative client. And that's according to people familiar with the discussions. Federal authorities, as we know, searched Mar-a-Lago because they badly wanted to retrieve the classified documents that remained there even after a federal subpoena. And that's what Kai's argued. And with that material back in the government's hands, maybe the prosecutors could be persuaded to resolve the whole issue quietly. Like, you got it all back. Just go away. But quiet has never been Donald's style, nor has harmony within his orbit, can they write. Instead, just a few weeks after Kai's was brought on board, he finds himself in a battle trying to persuade Trump to go along with his legal strategy and fighting with some other advisors who have counseled a more aggressive posture. The dispute has raged for at least a week. Trump advisors say, with the former president listening as various lawyers make their pitch to him about their arguments. A Wednesday night court filing from Trump's team was combative, with defense lawyers questioning the Justice Department's truthfulness and motives. 
Kai's, whose name usually appears alongside other lawyers in filings, didn't sign this one because they went after the Justice Department's integrity, an absence that underscored the division among the Trump's legal team. He remains part of the team. He will continue assisting Trump in dealing with some of his other legal problems. <laughs> That's according to people familiar who, like others interviewed for this article, spoke on the condition of anonymity. But on the Mar-a-Lago issue, he's likely to have a less public role. It's a pattern that has repeated itself since the National Archives Records Administration first alerted Trump's team 16 months ago that it was missing documents and strongly urged their return well before the May 11th grand jury subpoena and the August 8th search of Mar-a-Lago by the FBI. Multiple sets of lawyers and advisors suggested Trump simply comply with the government and return the papers, and in particular, hand over any documents marked classified. We know Hirschman told him. But, you know, this pattern of behavior of not listening to his lawyers goes way back before this particular case. I mean, he wouldn't listen to Patsy Baloney, Pat Baloney. He wouldn't listen to Pat Philbin. He didn't, he didn't listen to Don McGahn. Like, he, he just never, if you weren't going along with his bullshit, he would kind of blackball you from meetings. We saw it happen. We've seen it. Trump seems, at least for now, to be heeding advice from those who have indulged his desire to fight. The approach could leave the former president on a collision course with the DOJ as he relies on a legal trust that includes three attorneys facing their own potential legal risks. First, Christina Bob has told other Trump allies she's willing to be interviewed by the DOJ about her role in responding to the subpoena. That's according to people familiar. Another, Evan Corcoran, has been counseled by colleagues to hire a criminal defense lawyer and withdraw, but he's said it's not necessary. The third, Boris Epstein, everyone hates this guy. He saw his phone taken as part of the DOJ's probe of Trump's fake elector scheme and appeared before a Georgia grand jury on Thursday. That's the Fulton County thing. Hired in late August with an upfront retainer, which people familiar with the matter said was paid by Trump's Save America PAC, Kai's told others he wanted to de-escalate the Trump team's pugilistic approach to federal prosecutors. Now, continuing to attack the Justice Department and the FBI, he argued, was likely to cause federal authorities to be more aggressive. What did I say in my tweet? He probably doesn't want to accuse the FBI of malfeasance. Kais has suggested to other Trump advisors the best solution would be to try to find an off-ramp with the DOJ before a possible indictment. He has said he thinks Trump can avoid criminal charges. In private, those familiar with the conversation say Kai's has questioned the wisdom and experience of some of his colleagues, arguing they don't have the extensive experience with this type of litigation and could face legal trouble themselves. They're not listening to Kai's. I mean, it reminds me of when Navarro got combative in the contempt case by skirting a second subpoena from the DOJ asking for communications with Donald and, and being just at, oh, they arrested me, put shackles on me, they're assholes. They have malfeasance. They did shitty things in the, you know, in the grand jury, They prosecutorial misconduct, all that shit. They're like, fuck yeah, dude, we'll indict you. So he's, he's, Trump's like daring the DOJ to indict him here. And Kai's came in and said, let's, let's, let's turn down the temperature. I can, might be able to get you off. Just hand everything over and maybe we can just all make nice. And, and, you know, perhaps everything will be cool. You won't face criminal charges, but he won't listen to that shit. He also, Kai's argued privately that their counsel had deepened Trump's problems. You guys, you lawyers have deepened Trump's problems. And they would have had fewer problems had he started representing Trump earlier in the summer. Whether those lawyers were, in fact, acting on specific instructions from Trump, the former president, as we know, is not clear yet. 
Kaiser's influence on Trump's team can be seen by comparing some of the court filings lodged by the team. A motion filed before he was hired asked the judge to appoint a special master and review the seized documents, mixed political and legal arguments, and characterized the court-approved FBI search as shockingly aggressive. Now, later filings appeared more restrained, with fewer direct attacks on the Justice Department and the FBI. Quote, as this court correctly observed, this is Kai's, by the way, as this court correctly observed a criminal investigation of this import, an investigation of a former president, the administration of his political rival, requires enhanced vigilance to ensure fairness, transparency, and maintenance of the public trust. That's a Kai's thing. But even as Kai's has urged moderation, his rivals have pushed Trump to maintain the aggressive stance in part because they believe combativeness plays well with their supporters and could force welcome delays. Some of Trump's other lawyers also have bad-mouthed Kai's to the former president, saying he's not a team player. <laughs> um, because he operates, you know, kind of within the law. Among Kaiser's critics is Epstein, longtime Trump ally, worked on his inauguration in 2020, grown closer to Trump in the post-presidency, helped push false claims that the 2020 election was stolen, helped attempt to overturn the results. Kaiser was added to the team in part because Bob and Corcoran were considered legally vulnerable on a different front. Together, they told the Justice Department that Corcoran had led a diligent review of Mar-a-Lago documents to respond to the May subpoena and had identified and handed over all classified records. The two attorneys met investigators there in June, giving them a taped-up red-weld folder containing 38 documents collected in response to the subpoena. Once again, they didn't say that the documents were declassified. That wasn't a defense at that point, and that's one of the D Department of Justice's arguments. Like, your time to argue declassification has passed. You handed us a double-taped red-weld envelope, which is how you handle classified documents. You handed that to us pursuant to a subpoena, and you didn't say these, these have been declassified. In court documents, prosecutors have called that response incomplete and said they have collected evidence that obstructive conduct was involved with the failure to comply fully with the subpoena. We know that. According to people familiar with the probe, Bob signed that attestation document swearing she had been told a diligent search was conducted of boxes of records shipped from the White House to Florida when Trump left office. She signed the document, which said that the, the file folder being handed over contained all documents that are responsive to the subpoena. Corcoran then told the visiting federal officials he had been advised that all the records that were shipped to the club from the White House had been placed in the storage room and nowhere else, and that all available boxes had been searched in response to the subpoena. Now, we, as we know, several classified documents were found in Trump's office. Trump hired Corcoran in April with no vetting after being introduced to him on a single conference call. That's according to the Post. Corcoran was at the time representing former Trump advisor Steve Bannon, who was charged with contempt of Congress. Bob's history with Trump, Christina Bob's history, goes back much further. Former lawyer in the Marine Corps, she worked as an executive secretary in the Department of Homeland Security while Trump was in office, handling classified documents that were needed for the department's secretary to make policy decisions. Bob has told others close to Trump she believes the certification she signed was accurate. She has hired her own lawyer, Tampa-based former prosecutor John Lauro, and has made it known to Trump allies she is willing to cooperate and be interviewed by the Justice Department. That's a little bit of a buried lead. Asked last week whether she was negotiating to sit for an interview with prosecutors, she declined to comment, saying, I'm sorry, I'm not allowed to talk about it, which means <laughs> she has. Or maybe she's already been interviewed. The email obtained by The Post shows that Bob also served as the note-taker during a December 12th call that focused on planning detailed logistics for fraudulent electors 
to gather in states won by Biden and declare Trump the winner in those states. She was part of the fraudulent elector scheme, and she is willing to cooperate with the Department of Justice. That email has been turned over to federal investigators. On January 6th, Christina Bob huddled with Giuliani at the Willard. She was at the Willard with Giuliani, and she's cooperating with the Department of Justice. She could face 20 years max, probably not, you know, maybe like four to six or maybe seven for 1519, 18 U.S. Code 1590, obstruction of justice, concealment of documents. With that kind of pressure, she would be smart to cooperate on January 6th in her Willard Giuliani ties and in the fraudulent elector scheme. Despite giving numerous interviews the days immediately after the FBI search in which she was identified as a lawyer for Trump, Bob told a fellow RSBN anchor during a September 23rd broadcast that she was not acting as a Trump attorney while serving as custodian for records in response to the subpoena. The difference is important, the Washington Post says, which Ben Macellis pointed out, which I shared on Twitter. The Justice Department team investigating the handling of the documents would face no hurdles to compel her to testify if she's not been serving as Trump's lawyer. There's no attorney-client privilege. You have to establish an attorney-client relationship, and she has proactively said there wasn't one. And in other news, the National Archives, well, this is related. The National Archives still have not recovered all the presidential records that should have been turned over at the end of the Trump administration. And that's according to a new letter to Congress from the acting archivist. Quote, we do know that we do not have custody of everything we should. That's a Deborah Wall, acting archivist of the U.S., and her letter to Carolyn Maloney, Democrat from New York representative, suggesting that former officials had still not turned over electronic messages of official business done on personal accounts. Wall's letter was a response to a September 13th request from Maloney seeking an urgent review of whether presidential records remain unaccounted for. Now, this kind of is news, but it's also kind of not. We know at least for sure that Peter Navarro hasn't handed over all of his proton mail messages that were discovered by the coronavirus subcommittee. And we know that because the DOJ just filed for a writ of replevin, which is, you know, a Give give us our shit back. They, they, Navarro admits to having it. Wall said the National Archives and Records Administration, quote, would consult with the DOJ on whether to initiate an action for the recovery of records unlawfully removed. So there might be more than just Navarro's. I'm sure there is. Meadows, for example, although he has started handing stuff back to the archives, and he did that the day after the FBI executed a search warrant at Mar-a-Lago. In a statement, Rep. Maloney said it was outrageous that these records remain unaccounted for 20 months after Trump left office. Former President Trump and his senior staff, quote, have shown an utter disregard for the rule of law and our national security by failing to return presidential records as the law requires. I will continue to do everything in my power to ensure all presidential records from the Trump White House are returned to the custody of the government and to make sure these abuses never happen again. The National Archives previously said Trump allegedly had more than 700 pages of classified material in his possession, which were found in the 15 boxes the archives retrieved from Mar-a-Lago in January. All right, next up, in a blow to the NRA, which is always fun for me, a Manhattan judge has given Letitia James, New York Attorney General, the green light to continue seeking two hefty penalties, an independent monitor who would oversee the gun lobby's finances, and millions in back salary from CEO Wayne LaPierre. The ruling from the bench by New York Supreme Court Justice Joel Cohen on Thursday allows Tish James 
to pursue the financial monitor and significant cash penalties when her two-year-old lawsuit against NRA goes to trial. Those salary-based penalties, if approved by a judge or jury, could add up to a small fortune. LaPierre has made in excess of a million a year since 2014. He was under contract to earn $1.5 million for the years 2020 through 2025. A trial date has yet to be set for the lawsuit, which accuses LaPierre and three other executives at the New York chartered nonprofit of lining their pockets with member donations, which they did. All right. And, and by the way, this lawsuit with Chis James and the NRA has been going on for a while now. Might give you an idea about how long the Trump one might take, although she has asked that to be expedited. All right. That's the news. I'll be right back with The Daily Show co-founder and host of the Feminist Buzzkills podcast, Liz Winstead, right after this. Stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody. I've always found it difficult to find underwear that looks and feels right on my specific body. And I've been waiting for someone to design authentic underwear for strong, independent types like me. And guess what? Tomboy X has done it. Eureka, they created underwear that makes me feel like this underwear doesn't just fit me. It gets me. The pair I'm wearing right now is phenomenal. It's comfortable, fits perfectly, doesn't roll down, doesn't have weird seams, doesn't pinch. Tomboy X has been making brazenly unapologetic underwear for all bodies, all shapes, all genders, and all sizes. From boxer briefs to bikinis to boy shorts and bras, Every pair of Tomboy X is created to fit you and how you see yourself. And they've expanded beyond underwear, too. Each product is built on values of quality fit and inclusivity. And they pay attention to every single detail. Wherever you fall on the size, shape, or this-is-me spectrum, Tomboy X is the underwear your body will love. And with their love-at-first-wear guarantee, you can order risk-free while you find your perfect fit. I also use their activewear when I work out. They have this peak low-impact bra that fits me perfectly and does everything a good sports bra is supposed to do, wrangling the girls. It's absolutely my favorite. Doesn't roll up, doesn't pinch, doesn't hurt my shoulders. Discover your inner tomboy. And let me get you started with a special discount. Go to tomboyx.com and enter code DAILYBEANS, all one word, to get an extra 20% off. That's an extra 20% off when you enter DAILYBEANS at tomboyx.com. Again, that's tomboyx.com. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Everybody, welcome back. I am so happy today to be joined by one of my good friends, co-creator of The Daily Show, founder and chief executive officer of Abortion Access Front, and co-host of the Feminist Buzzkills Live podcast, which is on the MSW Media Network. And they also have a five-part series called Operation Save Abortion. Welcome, Liz Winstead. Hi, Liz. Hi, Al. Thanks for having me. It's so good to see your beautiful, bright, shining face. How are you? I'm good. Not as good as you sitting by the pool coming in and out for interviews. I just gave I just gave away your secrets. Uh, but, you know, try we're trying our best every day. You know, it's like I just wish that evolution would just give us like eight arms so that we could just punch Nazis, help people get abortions, help people get registered to vote. I need more arms and hands. <laughs> That's what I think of. You know, I better get my beach body ready. My beach body just has like eight arms and a big claw and uh, is sunproof. I mean, like, that's my idea yeah. of, of of what the what a beach body is. It's just I need more arms. And speaking of multiple tasks and the ability to multitask, tell us about how Operation Save Abortion went. We we released it, a five-part miniseries, uh, limited series in podcast format on the MSW Media Network as part of the Buzzkills Live, Feminist Buzzkills Live. Tell us about it. How's the response been? So it's been really cool. You know, it's not... It's not your it's not your average pod that you listen to a story, you know, like Kanai says, while you're emptying out your closet. 
See, the thing that we do that makes it really awesome and unique is in this time, ever since the leak happened, everybody was struggling, saying, what do I do? What do I do? What do You're I do? You're talking about the Dobbs leak. The, the Dobbs the leak. That's Supreme right. Court, yep. Alito, the Supreme Court Alito Dobbs decision. And then after, when they just decimated abortion, it was just very clear. It's been very clear for a long time at Abortion Access Front that we don't necessarily have a movement. We have people providing care. We have people raising funds. But the movement kind of died and we're trying to revive it, right? And so that was very glaring. So what was cool was uh, to be able to break out five different areas of abortion activism and have 45-minute podcasts with the experts in the field laying out uh, what you can do and then having toolkits and workbooks to then after each episode, you work on the workbook. So what we're telling everybody is treat this series like a book club, right? Mm. Get together with your friends either listen to it alone, get together with your friends to do the workbook, or everyone listen together for 45 minutes and then really do the work. And you can learn about patient care. You can learn about how to help clinics. You can learn about direct action taking to the streets. You can learn about legislative um, action. And you can learn about the greater reproductive justice where we not only talk about abortion, but we just center black and brown folks and really take leadership from, from women of color and talk about those who are most affected by all of these bans, right? Because uh, it's not, mm. when you think about it, like we're a nation that just doesn't care about any pregnancy outcomes, right? We don't support folks who need abortions. We don't support folks who choose to parent and may need resources to do so. We don't support public education. We don't support environmental justice. We don't support anything. And all of that ties back in, right? So it's been, we've had thousands and thousands. I mean, we've had, a hundred thousand people either watch or listen That's so uh, cool. in total of of all combined of the episodes, which feels super cool. And it feels like I'm just happy to provide something for folks. And then if you really want to get involved, Abortion Access Front will is vetting everybody, which is super important because you can't just shove someone into abortion activism and then trust that they're going to be a good actor, right? There's a lot of people trying to trying to interlope, a lot of people trying to just really get into the space and then disrupt. So we are doing that. And also the coolest part is we have an ongoing activist calendar. So you can access that at uh, operationsafeabortion.com, which is a calendar. You can, it's a pull down menu of where you live and what local activists are doing. And then also some larger things, you know, if you want to learn about self-managed abortion and what that looks like for folks who are getting pills online. Um, if that scares you, you don't know about it, like the people who are running those programs are helping folks out. It's really great. So finally, we can say, if you don't know what to do, there is a massive resource with which you can do it. And you can listen to all the episodes at once. I suggest breaking it up and really making it an event with like-minded folks. And it's all right on um, anywhere you get your pods. You know, it's right there. MSW is just like leading the way, helping us lead the way, which I so appreciate. Yeah, have five weeks of dinner parties leading up to the midterms. 100%. I mean, it's perfect timing. It's also the best way to figure out what it is you want to do with the capacity you have to do it, right? Yeah, super real life practical applications from the simplest things to more complex work. And, you know, you pick what level of participation that you can you know, that you can accomplish with, you know, with your life or with whatever's going on with you. 
And I think it's so astounding that, you know, as you talk, like so many of us don't really think about how this impacts people until it impacts you. Yes. I remember seeing that article of this woman who's a longtime Republican and she was like, I never thought it would happen to me. And then all of a sudden she's like, oh, this is fucked up. And it's like, oh, OK, so now put yourself in somebody else's shoes. You don't have to. You're in your own shoes and it fucking happened to you. That's right. And don't you dare have tears about it. Move forward. Like if you voted consistently your whole life against this stuff, uh, you know what? You don't get to have some tears. You just get to say, I guess I was wrong. Now I got to get moving. Now I got to get yeah. active. Yeah. Buckle down, do some activism, have some tears later. Yep. You know. And then one last thing I'll say, which is super excellent too, is if indeed you participate in all of this and you're like, I don't get it. All over the website, there are email addresses that you can go to directly linked to a human, Max, who is our programs person. And we're having office hours once a month. The first Wednesday or the last Wednesday, I don't know what it says on the website, of every month, uh, you can get on Zoom and you can talk to Max about anything you're having, toss an idea around, get connected. So we just really want people to be able to get in and do it. Yeah. And I'm almost like if you've always voted Republican, if you were a one issue voter about abortion and then this shit happens to you, I'm like, you know what? Go ahead. Cry on my shoulder. Um, That fucking sucks. And I'm I'm so glad that now you are seeing you're nicer than me, how this impacts other people. <laughs> when I when I wrote the Washington Post op ed about how this impacts uh, women in the military, particularly where rape is so prevalent. A lot of people were like, huh, I didn't think of that. And I'm like, there are going to be so many communities of people that we haven't thought of mm -hmm. that we need to start thinking of or need to ha hear their stories. And this is what's one of the one of the great things about the work that you're doing is we get those stories out. And, you know, the problem, the thing that's pissing me off about the mainstream media, though, is that this movement, they kind of want to it seems like they sort of want to bury it because they say, oh, Abortion isn't the number one thing on everyone's mind anymore. It's threats to the democracy. But I don't think that they realize that taking away half of the population's right to bodily autonomy isn't fucking a threat to democracy. Like, I think a lot of people probably answered that question with Roe in their mind. Yeah. And so I don't I don't know that I don't think that they're they want to separate that out and put, a, you know, abortion access or bodily autonomy or privacy rights. Number two. But I really think this is almost a ranked choice thing where a lot of the people who answered about threats to democracy were answering with the Dobbs decision in mind. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And what I would add to that is part of the work we do at Abortion Access Front, which is, by the way, if you don't know what Abortion Access Front is, it's the nonprofit that is where Feminist Buzzkills Live is bore out of. So it is an abortion. It's an abortion frontline organization. And part of the work that we have done is travel around the country and we help out clinics. And we have, through our traveling and doing shows and meeting the activists on the ground, Abortion Access Front has the largest database of anti-abortion extremists in the nation. And we have infiltrated their Facebook pages and their churches. And the thing that y'all need to know, if you think uh, defending our democracy is the number one issue, there is a literal circle, is the Venn diagram between those who are trying to overthrow our democracy and those who are part of organizations and churches that were at January 6th. We personally identified 30 anti-abortion extremists who were at January 6th on the Capitol and turned them over to the FBI because of our work. Yeah. And so please don't think that these issues are different because it is all the same. They are all the same. They are, they're the same. They are it. And if we don't learn from each other and work with each other on identifying who these people are, we're really being foolish. Yeah, much like 
the National Security Risk Assessment of Classified Documents Hanging Out in Mar-a-Lago, and the criminal investigation into Donald Trump for hiding them and lying about them, they are inextricably linked. Everyone there just inextricably All of it is inextricably linked. Also, I am obsessed with the fact that anybody could actually say with a straight face that if I think about declassifying them, they are declassified. (laughs) Like some kind of like whacked out Slytherin wizard, Donald Trump waving a chicken leg over the documents being like, Classifidus, delete us. <laughs> Classifidus, delete That's the best. I mean, is there, if there ever was the prototype for a Slytherin wizard, Donald Trump. Levio saw. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my fucking God, dude. That's so fun. Yeah. Well, I, you know, if I just think that I have bodily autonomy, I just do, right? I mean, that's just, you yes, know, you just can't. Will it, you, just say you have it. And then defy all the laws. I mean, I think that we should just do that. So talk to me for a second about how the argument for overthrowing and overturning Roe v. Wade and the Dobbs decision was that that it should be left up to the states. And now Lindsey Graham is doubling down and tripling down and saying, I don't care what you think about me with regards to a national abortion ban, which would then strip the states of their rights to make their own decisions. Let's talk a little bit about this and 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 Lindsay. It was such a forced an unmarried error. childless man, unmarried white man. childless man who wouldn't, you know, wouldn't know anything about a woman's body if it sat in his face and whistled Dixie. He has no honestly, I'm just like Lindsay for real. Try that without the Lindsay Graham part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, just I think it's a good skill to have. So it's <laughs> in the scope of of not reading the room And Lindsey Graham, if he really told, here's what I don't understand. In tandem with Lindsey Graham saying we want this federal abortion ban when everyone is recoiling in horror, one of the few states that didn't recoil in horror and moved forward with some of the most draconian laws in the nation was South Carolina. So Lindsey Mm -hmm. is like, is you're you're fine in your state. You didn't need to do it to get reelected because your state legislature and your governor is pushing forward. I don't understand how anybody thought that they really were going to put it to the states and just leave it there. Mm. You know, the thing that we've always said, and I think the thing that's confusing to a lot of folks is Roe v. Wade was sort of the starting line to the end of abortion as we know it. I think a lot of people thought the end of Roe was the end of that. And, and what they don't understand is the next step is as Lindsey Graham wants a 15-week ban like Mississippi, that also, oh my God, my lights are going on and off, uh, that also says the states that have these draconian laws can keep them. The 15-week ban is the top. And so if it doesn't mean there's haven states anymore. It means everybody's got to live by this rule. So if you have a pregnancy that is developing anomalies uh, and all sorts of things that happen, which quite a few things happen in pregnancies after 16 weeks, Uh, that you will not know about, we're in a really damaging spot. And it's just, it's it terrifies me to think that, and the thing that we don't talk about enough is, by the way, at a six-week pregnancy, to determine if you are pregnant at six weeks, the only way to do that is with a transvaginal ultrasound. So you are adding state-sanctioned, invasive thing. If you've never had a transvaginal ultrasound, I've had one because I needed one. And it's Mm -hmm. really awful. 
But for it any, is really awful. In anybody, Especially for assault survivors. It, that's exactly correct. It is basically a wand that looks very much like a vibrator that is inserted into a person. And if you don't need to have that and and they're forcing that upon you, that's sexual assault to me. That is state-sanctioned state sexual, sexual assault. 100%. And so, you know, there's these, and they hide those, they hide those little details mm-hmm. so people don't know. But for Lindsey Graham, who was the first one beating that, just let it go back to the States drum. And then the second he came forward, and a lot of folks, when he gave his announcement, they the people surrounding him, Marjorie Dannenfelder, who is from the Susan B. Anthony list, which is the crackpot version of Emily's list. It is the anti-abortion Emily's list. Gene Mancini from March for Life, who has been in bed with a lot of these conspiracy theory January 6th interlopers had them on stage. They had Marjorie Taylor Greene on stage at the March for Life. If you think they're for life, they're inviting Jim Jordan and Matt Gates on stage at their events. And so he was surrounded by activists who are the mainstream fringe, as I call them, because there is no fringe. They're just, you know, now the mainstream Republican Party. And, you know, 70% of Americans, a poll just came out this week that said 70% of Americans don't trust that politicians know enough about pregnancy and abortion to legislate on it. And I'm like, duh. Tim Scott from South Carolina literally said Democrats are going to try to make a 52-week abortion law where we could have abortions up Mm -hmm. to 52 weeks of pregnancy. So if you know anybody who's been pregnant for 52 weeks, um, send them something because that would be terrible. Yeah, get help. And it's not only, you know, I mean, obviously the the, the 15-week national abortion ban is hugely problematic in itself, but it also sets a terrible precedent for anything else that is uh, under a privacy right guaranteed by the Constitution, including Lawrence v. Texas, including Obergefell, marriage equality. Yeah. Even Loving would be on the chopping block, although Clarence Thomas isn't going to talk about Loving being on the chopping block. Well, I don't know. You know, my theory is, (laughs) but you know what I mean? Jenny Thomas is so terrifying that he might have to have a constitutional amendment to not be married to her anymore to get out it's of the, the relationship. the only way to divorce. Uh, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, that just sets a precedent for anything else that is under privacy that we, you know, because we, ha- we have an expectation of, of privacy with our constitutional rights because otherwise the whole thing just unravels. So it would just set a terrible precedent where we, where we now do national bans on other things that constitute privacy. Yeah. And, and, you know, when they, when, when, when the decision finally came down and, and the text from Thomas was these things aren't mentioned in the constitution. So we should revisit these cases, you know, fetuses aren't mentioned in the constitution and neither are women. And so if you want to talk about things that aren't in the constitution, it was seemed very whole and uh, predictable to be oppressing one elevating one to statuses, because let's be clear, every time you give a fetus a right, you are taking a right away from a woman or a person who can get pregnant every time, Mm -hmm. every single time. And so how far does, how far does that go to your point? You know, but I just putting it into that space where, so basically really that's where you're going to go with Supreme Court, that if it's not in the, like you are such strict constructionist that that's where you're going. And if that's the case, then let's get on some two-way shit. Because semi-automatic weapons aren't mentioned in the Constitution and a lot of shit ain't mentioned in the Constitution. 
Oh, yeah, but that's, you know, we pick and choose. Yeah, um, always. <laughs> when it comes to that. Convenience. You know, whatever, the convenience. Yeah, however we can cherry pick the Constitution to keep women and people of color down and, and push forward our weird Christo-fascist, white nationalist, <sighs> white supremacy agenda. That's how it's going to be. And that's how it's always been. And, I, I, you know, I love that Ellie Mistal was like, this court is closer to the Dred Scott court than the loving court. And they only ditch the only difference is they have the Federalist Society to to teach them words to that, you know, to not offend people. Yeah. So anyway, it's been awesome to talk to you. I hope everybody checks out this just amazing five part series. I'm so proud and so incredibly just blown away by the work you did on Operation Save Abortion. It's so great. And also this pod this week is really good, too, because we are breaking down a lot of stuff happened this week, you know, and that's the thing that Mm -hmm. I love about our podcast so much as a whole is because, like you said, the media is just dropping the ball and saying Americans don't care anymore. There was 78 pieces of news that affected some status of abortion just this week in the news. And we broke it. We broke 20 of them down. But man, (laughs) let me tell you what, it's like, it's not going away and people do care. And so like, check out Feminist Bus Skills Live. New episodes drop Fridays. And uh, it's a good one-stop shop. And also we're funny and we just don't give a fuck. That is very true. Thank you, co-founder of The Daily Show, my very good friend. Everybody head to operationsaveabortion.com to get more information. Liz Winstead, it's been wonderful to see you. Good to see you, Al. Everybody, stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Hey, everybody, I've had my Helix Sleep mattress for a long time now. It's been amazing. It's changed my life. It's the best sleep I've ever had, and it's all because I'm using a mattress customized for the way I sleep. I used to toss and turn at night. It was awful. I thought it was anxiety and stress and maybe the orange buffoon in the White House, but as it turns out, that was part of it. But I was sleeping on a mattress made for someone else. Helix has a stellar lineup, 14 unique mattresses, including a collection of luxury models, one for big and tall sleepers, and even a mattress made just for kids. You can find out which one is perfect by going to helixsleep.com slash dailybeans and taking their online two-minute sleep quiz. They'll match you with the mattress that matches your preferences and your body type. They'll ship it right to your door free of charge. You get 100 nights risk-free to try it. If you decide it's not the best fit, you're welcome to return it for a full refund. They'll even pick it up. I took the quiz uh, at helixsleep.com slash dailybeans. I was matched with the Helix Midnight because I'm a side sleeper and I like a medium firm mattress. So it's perfect for me. Best mattress I've ever owned, hands down. Incredibly easy to put together, put up. Anybody could do it. Every Helix mattress has a hybrid design too, combining individually wrapped steel coils in the base with premium foam layers on top. It's the perfect combination of comfort and support. Plus, Helix mattresses are American made. and They come with a 10 or a 15 year warranty depending on the model. And right now, Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash dailybeans. Right now, that's H-E-L-I-X sleep.com slash dailybeans. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. It's time for the good news. Who likes good news, everyone? Then good news, Good news, good news. And if you have any good news, confessions, corrections, uh, weird idioms, mixed up idioms, or shit kids say, or you want to give a shout out to an amazing person in your life, or you have an adoptable pet in your area you want to share, or any of your pets, or Halloween photos, or any holiday photos, anything basically you want to send at all, you can do it by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact. First up, from Naomi, pronouns she and her. Hello, benevolent goddesses. Benevolent. Oh my goodness. Hello, benevolent goddesses. I love hearing your guess the mutt, and I thought I'd send you a tricky one. This is KC. 
my husband named him after our hometown, Kansas City, Missouri, on his way home from adopting him at 12 weeks old so our four kids wouldn't have a chance to argue about yet another silly thing. He's now four. He's a very good boy. I'm attaching a couple pictures so you can get a fuller idea of what he looks like. I do have some good news to share as well. After years of longing to raise chickens, I am now a proud backyard chicken mom. Oh my God, you are joining the ranks of Heather Thomas and Joyce Vance by having some chickens. I have four hens. They provide us with delicious eggs every day. They're so fun to watch and my kids love playing with them. Casey, however, is terrified of them, but I don't blame him since he got pecked on the ear while trying to sunbathe. Love you, ladies, and all you do. Look at this baby. This definitely looks like it's got some pibble, maybe some Staffordshire Terrier, and the little black and white spots. Well, we have to say chow chow because they're everywhere. All right, let's see what we've got. A Sharpay and an English Bulldog mix. Wow, I would have never guessed this. And by the way, that's an amazing sploot as well in the second photo. This just looks like a, a pit bull. Oh, and you know what, though? Beautiful, beautiful papa. Thank you for sharing. Next up from Curtis. Oh, this picture. Pronouns he and him from Grand Rapids. Our fur baby Pavel Datsyuk went missing on us for 31 days. When we got him home, he was down to only five pounds and wouldn't eat or drink. Got a feeding tube and the best cat mom ever, my wife, Catherine, just got his tube out and is almost 100% now. Just needs to gain a little more weight. Love the show. Thanks for informing us. Curtis, I'm so glad that you and Catherine got your baby back. Oh, what a sweetie. Yay, there they are. Oh, what a beautiful baby kitty. Thank you for sending that in. And oh, that's just what a relief. That kitty is home. Next up from Miss Ophonia. I am submitting cute animal pictures to guys a question I have. A form of compliment sandwich only with puppies and kitties. <laughs> the first picture is my dear friend Bernie's on their first birthday in 2021. They're cuddly and like most BMD, they are lap dogs. You can't convince them otherwise. The meat is the good news intro music prompting anyone else's misphonia or is it just my weird brain? I understand why it changed and I don't know how tough it must be to come up with something that YouTube won't censor. The cyclic whoa, whoa, whoa in the background gives me the heebie-jeebies. I do have a lot of misphonia issues in general, so it might just be a me issue. I also listen at 1.5 times speed, so maybe that's what makes my brain melt. You know, that could be it. Um, and no, I'm no audio expert, so I couldn't do a better job. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> Pet tax is a picture of my doggos. Also, a picture of a random dog in a bee costume. I collect bears in bee costumes because of the line from Best in Show. <laughs> I love that movie. God loves that terrier. Uh, but dogs in bee costumes is a whole better level. The area is so doggo friendly. And they do a whole dog costume parade at one of our major streets at Halloween. I'm going this year. We'll send pics. Yes, you must. You must send photos of that. The, the dog Halloween costume parade. That's going to be required photos. The last picture is Lucy. She's a neighborhood cat who always comes to say hi when I'm getting my daily walkies. She's adorable and knows my footsteps. Her mama tells me she only jumps to the wall for a few people and that she'll jump up when I'm about a block away. I don't walk the same way every day, so something lets her know it's me. I just adore all these little ones. Look at these Burmese. Oh, hi, baby. Oh, yep. Every time I see a dog in a bee costume, and it, I, I know there's no dogs in bee costumes in the video, but I always think of 
uh, what was it? No Rain by Blind Melon with the little bee girl. That's what I think of whenever I see bees. Hi, kitty. Look at that void kitty. So adorable. Thank you for sharing these photos. And the dog in the bee costume is the best. And I'm really looking forward to the animal costume pet parade photos. Arizona Jan, pronoun she and her. Love your podcast. Here's my very social Aussie doodle, Maddie. She kept joining Hazel, the same Bernard, on the grooming table, and they gave up and let her stay. <laughs> Hazel loved it. Okay, here's Maddie. <laughs> Hi, Maddie. So adorable. I bet that's a super smart dog, too, right? I mean, Aussie Doodle, those are two smart dogs right there. And I'm into one. Next up from Professor Johanna. Hi, Beans Queens. I just thought I'd share uh, the moment of magic or terror as I experienced this morning, depending on your point of view. I live in a neighborhood in Southern California that supports a growing population of peacocks. Here is a picture of three absolutely adorable pea chicks that were hanging out in the alley behind my house. The second picture is an entire flock of peacocks that decided to hang out on my roof. Your reaction may depend on how you feel about Alfred Hitchcock. Oh my God. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> what is a group of peacocks called? This is like a, a what's the collective noun for peacocks? Let me, let's look it up. I should know this. Um, like it's a pride or a fluffle or something. Uh, here we go. Let's see. Collective noun for peacocks. It is a pride. Ah, or an orientation. No, an ostentation. There we go. That makes sense. An ostentation of peacocks or a pride or a muster. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you for that. And thanks for all of your good news. I appreciate it. You can send it in by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact. Dana will be back tomorrow. And uh, thanks again to Liz Winstead for the discussion. It was really, really insightful. And everybody check out uh, those podcasts as well. All right. We'll be back tomorrow with Dana in your ears for the beans. Until then, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health. Vote blue over Q and bring someone with you. I've been AG and them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for the Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media. <laughs>